is how we stand on this earth with so much love for the very mother that provides for us, loves us, blesses us with the joys and painful learnings of the deepest ocean and the hottest fire and the strongest wind. Mother Earth is what drives and loves. This knowing and relationship of care is something humans as a whole and in a very short amount of time we have forgotten and have been made to relinquish as a living reality, a form of humility and truth. Our survival is dependent on reacquainting ourselves with the source, the center, that will hurry us back into an embrace of return and recovery of how we live and breathe, give care, and are allowed to provide. In episode 9, Defining Our Community Live Practice, Evolving Food Systems with Melody Wynn, We'll be sitting with this auntie, grandmother, sister, and friend, and communing with the creator, and connecting with one another as we vision, speak, let go of, and call into existence a future rooted in her. Mahalo for tuning in to the Kuike Aloha podcast with me, Megan Leoloha Ao. Thank you for joining us today. I'm super grateful to serve as practitioner and facilitator with Melody Wynn of the Spokane Tribe. Melody is a mother, a grandmother, sister, auntie, activist, community builder. She is a mentor and an educator, a knowledge and a truth seeker, and a student and teacher of food and medicine gathering. Melody, mahalo so much for your time with me today as we go, you know, between and and flow between minds and hearts and between each other in this kind of, this envisioning of, you know, evolving land spaces that are healing with a focus and, and vision of return to ancestral connection and how we can really continue to move forward organizing our communities around. Mahalo so much for your time. Lam lam. Mahalo for you for this time. Le aloha. This subject I love and conversation with you is a practice I cherish, especially real talk like this. Oh, mahalo for that. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I hear you. The real talk, right? So um, thank you again for your time. And, you know, if there's anything that you wanted to share up front with folks listening about anything you know you're currently working on and also a story from like you you know the 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 ways that you are practicing this in your own life i really love to hear people's stories be, beyond what i can you know just share and how i know someone so if you wanted to please feel welcome to do that yes uh thank you for giving me the opportunity um Prairie grassroots is what we call it. So prairie grassroots go deep into the rocky and ancient soil in Spokane country. They reach down for nourishment from rocks and soil and minerals and water, bringing that up so that we can thrive in body and in our community life and just enrich that deep connection to this place. Back in the early teens of this century, I worked on a grant-funded project with the tribe to create a sustainable community master plan that would be a tool for the planning department to map out 
and propose much needed projects like planners do. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had an amazing teammate, Richard Knott, and our job was to increase meaningful community participation. And we did what we could with that, um, having the limited success in the usual format of community input meetings. But yeah. luckily, yeah. the entire team really wanted to make sure the final document had life and not just shelf life on yeah, right. somebody's bookshelf in their office. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so we all worked really hard and, um, you know, did what we could to give life and voice to the gifts of the words and ideas and the hopes and the worries that the people had shared with us in those meetings and other input gatherings. Yeah. Anyway, one topic that came up at every meeting was um, food, and that doesn't usually come up in uh, community master plans, but every single meeting food was brought up. So, yeah, so um, specifically issues that began to sound a lot like indigenous food sovereignty and food security. And so um, it seems like everyone in those rooms have that ancestral memory, in our case, pretty recent ancestral experience of real food sovereignty, meaning our practice of fulfilling our responsibility to gather, store, and provide nourishment from the abundance that has been um, provided for us in this place. Right. Not only that, but also fulfill our responsibility to relate to the roots and berries and fish and animals that come to us for brief visits in their seasons and show attention, gratitude, excitement, and celebration of and with them as they give life and health and togetherness for our well-being. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. So we began to synthesize the notes from all the community input meetings, and Richard and I lobbied the planners to include food sovereignty in the tribe's master plan, giving that issue its own place and validity in the conversations at that level of decision-making. In the meantime, the momentum was ignited and blazed to a point of no return. That is, uh, we started moving and talking and gathering in ways that sustained the conversation and movement. Over these intervening years that now bring us to the current pandemic where now the weaknesses and cracks and faults and failures of the systems in today's experience are forcefully exposed. Yeah. The, pra yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Prairie Grassroots Group is closest to my heart in the outspread work that I can do. Other projects that I'm compensated for within the monetary capitalist system always seem to make space for loops back to connections with foods, plants, and medicines. Wow, that's so beautiful. I mean, that, and I think that's the dream or that's the lived dream, the lived reality that we're all hoping for, right? That that yeah. we're, you know, living and breathing those relationships and honoring all those parts and all the, these gifts that we are being given by the creator, right? And how do we honor that? How do we fulfill our caretaking and our responsible, you know, um, I don't know, using our consumption even sounds, you know, like a negative feel, but 
right? That that reciprocal relationship that in Hawaii, you know, when you were when we had classes here together, that mm-hmm. you know, that's just such a lived experience that I feel like we're all trying to dream back every day and how you meld it with policy at really in practice and into, you know, plans and stuff. I I'm just really thankful for your story on that. But yeah, and that's I think that's such a beautiful story to to understand that you live and I think it's important when we started to talk about this, you know, looking at food and you know, I wanted to do this podcast together, how the, the current collapse is happening of the food system and that, you know, when we're talking about what to rebuild, we all have to kind of like take note of what we're not wanting to rebuild, right? Like, yeah. and, and that's, you know, as we come together, we have to just kind of accept and really, I think, define the, a new normal, not based in fear or um, disease, but a new normal that's really deeply intent on envisioning completely revamped return to a food system that will really nourish and and serve in so many other ways so thank you i love that prairie grassroots group (laughs) yeah um yeah i really really hope that we can reimagine and collectively reimagine uh that revamped food system and i i get what you're saying about uh the words, you know, sometimes the words that we reach for in English are so um, inadequate to describe what it is that's happening yeah. in our our hearts and our guts and and drifting yeah. up into our mind. Yeah. Yeah. So no, yeah. What? Go ahead. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope that we sustain the lessons and attend to the awareness that is in us right now and before us right now. Um, So let's go ahead and just speak that into existence from now on. Okay. Yeah. Right. It might be one more. (laughs) Let's, let's have a little critique if we will. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, as we're, we're like, like you said, focusing on like the power of words and I love that word inadequate because I feel like that's such the flip that we need to realize is that, we have so much to continue to carry and bring to this conversation as people who are of Aina, who, you know, are connected to people who work the Aina, that that um, the inadequacies of the system with the lack of words on how to, you know, serve this relationship is, you know, really reflective in the inadequacies of the system itself, right? And this yeah. pandemic, you know, is it's so many different things and so many different arenas of life to so many different people. And I feel like one for this system of food, it's such a huge light bringer to the space and the darknesses of this collapse of capital capitalist, you know, economy and food system. And we're shooting some articles back and forth between, you know, you and I, and we'll put all of those things in our show notes if you want to read. But one of them was from the mainstream media, New York times. And the title of the article is dumped milk, smashed eggs, plowed vegetables, food waste of the pandemic. And, you know, it talks so much about the plight of farmers wasting like thousands of pounds of milk, thousands of pounds of food. And just kept jumping out at me was that it's not about feeding people. It's not like, oh, this, you know, there was some, the more the focus was on the plight of the farmers not being able to make money and the, the ways that they had invested in systems of, you know, 
being paid through industries that were more focused on like monocropping and like large sale accounts, right? And it's like, we can't be focusing on that. Like you're going to grow this huge crop of, you know, the example, let's look at monocropping was this one farm was across multiple states in what is now known, you know, to some people as the United States that they're growing onions for onion rings. And the commentary on this article was how, you know, people are eating less vegetables. And I was like, wait a second, does that mean that onion rings are vegetables? Like, so they're eating less vegetables when they cook for themselves versus when, you know, they're in restaurants cooking for them. And I'm just like, what, what is, I don't even, I can't even understand. Like that was one of the focal mm -hmm. points of this article that it's like, mm -hmm. oh, these people are having to waste all these onions because their restaurants are closed and now people aren't making onion rings. So then people are eating less vegetables. Like mm -hmm. I just, I was like, what? And you know, besides the restaurants and I love all the restaurants, but the idea that that's who, that's the, the focus of this, the food waste is that because you know, restaurants are closed, we can't feed people. Or, you know, one of the other accounts was, you know, with schools and school lunches and Starbucks, they don't, they're not purchasing as much milk, you know, and, and it's just, you know, thinking about all of the, the ways that large scale monocropping, large scale food production, and all these farmers and subsidized, you know, and it just, you can just go down the list of the sicknesses of this food system. And that, you know, one part of the article even talked about that, you know, maybe these people could scale down and instead of large bags of this, they could make smaller bags and go to smaller, you know, maybe locally owned grocery stores. And the, the response was that, you know, it would take way more money investment to change up their production lines that it wouldn't be, mm -hmm. you know, and that it's too hard to transport the food and food banks. And, you know, so it's like, ah, costs too much to actually get the food to people. So we're just going to waste it, you know, and I was just like, this is what, you know, this is what the mainstream media wants to look at as the, you know, the poor farmer instead of like revamping that the, that this is the sickness of the system and that, you know, the, the whole thing just has to be like plowed under <laughs> to, you know, to rebuild and regrow something. So that was just, yeah. you know, before we just just go speaking into existence what we want is just you know a commentary on what we really are leaving behind right yeah yeah, yeah. that um you know the references to industry and and media and all those big big um systems that now we're seeing aren't serving us and that uh that phrase the worth of money um that always signals something that takes away from our humanity and our our caring for each other. And this pandemic is exposing flaw after flaw in so many of our systems. We're seeing that industrial everything no longer, if it ever did work for most people, yeah. it certainly does nothing for the health and balance of our natural world, our plant and element and animal relatives. Industrializing the food system necessitates profit as a goal, not nourishment. Mm -hmm. And monocropping is for profits, not for people. Large-scale corporate accounts are for profits. And maybe those two methods are also uh, a little for convenience. Or maybe convenience is the myth that keeps us accepting and buying and consuming 
in this collapsing spiral that we seem to be in. Yeah. All of these conveniences distance us from the creative opportunities we we have to reconnect with um, when we ignore or shun them, those conveniences, you know. So you, you named a couple systems there, the economic system and the food system, and the ability of these and other systems to sustain us in a time of, of uh, great need is making visible the problem of having the systems. Here we're talking about food um, systems and how they're too closely tied to economic systems. We hold various assumptions of what economy is and its origins are a mystery to many, me included. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to, to me, it seems the current economic system originates from the worldview of scarcity, which sanctions greed. And in opposition to that worldview, another perspective is that of abundance, which sanctions gratitude, sharing and caring for all of it in a balancing and considering way. Um, Definitely, there is less dollar profit in that way and not much sensational for media outlets to hope to sell their product. Right, right. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, that's that's the beauty of that system, very self-serving and creating that, like you said, convenience and, mm -hmm. you know, does that self-call uh, it in healing where you envision something and it's like this cycle that you just keep you know, re-envisioning and how that's coming to end, right? The mm -hmm. things that make sense to us. And I love that, the abundance. And I think that's, you know, what a lot of people in Hawaii are constantly looking at, right? And the the bringing to light and the holes that are coming about, like that's what they're focusing on and that the fear and the terror of that and, you know, profit and loss of profit and, and versus like feeding people, you know, like, food banks and like people need food and yes there's the money side but like they really like you said they, they don't equate they can't equate because you know mm -hmm. you can keep growing food and there's so much value in that and you just keep like you know printing all the money and it's just like it becomes nothing more than just you know air but mm -hmm. again it's like I need that i'd rather just breathe then yeah, worry about that, you know. But, yeah, you know, yeah, and like you're talking about, like, you know, I touched on food systems and the food banks, and you know, on Oahu, you know, we are hearing of people, their food banks are running out. The you know Hanalewa Pass food banks in Kahalu, and there are hundreds and hundreds of people long wrapping around oh, streets, wow. you know, out onto the highway and. You know, it's just like, how do we, like you said, serve people and feed people and nourish that relationship and not focus so much on the money-making aspect? And you just, you know, grow food and then you feed the people. And the, that idea of, like, you know, that's where I guess trade and, you know, as we will talk about rebuilding, but mm -hmm. there's so many inequities if you have to have money to buy food instead of just, you know, supporting the system that grows the food and you're kind of fed, right? Mm -hmm. So much in inequity in that that food system that values money and profit over people and feeding and nourishing, right? Yeah. 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 I um was in a conversation one time on a 
coalition that I was sitting on. And um, someone asked uh, the head of a charity that provides a lot of food for uh, food banks and meals at shelters and stuff. But they asked him, uh, you know, with all this, this food that's being put out, why is there still hunger? And the guy, his answer was, well, there's many definitions of hunger. And I sat there and I just thought, you've never been hungry, have you? <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, but then I thought about what he was saying, you know, and he kind of had a point where where uh, you can have a little bit of food. And if it if you're connected with it and if you're you know, if it was cooked with love and it's there in front of you, it's so satisfying you can have a little bit of food and get into it up to your elbows and then serve it to other people. And that's just so satisfying. Or you can go to the convenience store and, you know, grab, I don't know, I don't even know what's in those stores anymore, but <laughs> uh, granola bar and, right, uh, right. and eat it and you're still hungry, you know? And then I think about the, the um, economic inequities and yeah, there's people who have, pantries full of food and they can send a shopper to the store anytime they want to to get whatever they want but there's an emptiness to me anyway it seems like there probably is I'm just imagining that but <laughs> no but, yeah. there is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but yeah so um but our communities hold so much capacity and right now we're seeing what the limit of that capacity given the current system. So what does the horizon look like if we imagine a better way, a new way, or a new old way, a right. old new way, meaning, yeah. yeah. So um, our prairie grassroots movement that currently holds air and ground for food sovereignty and security in our lands over here draws inspiration from reacquainting ourselves with the language that was almost taken away from this place um, there was a word that we found in a dictionary that some of our elders worked on in recent decades, Eshnelihus, and it's defined in English as their food, the food by which they are known. And so that reveals the connection among food and people and place and community. And right now, communities have very little ability to respond to food inequity because we're so removed. We're so disconnected from our ability to fulfill our own collective needs. Um, we do have need for plant and animal and mineral sustenance, but we've been sold and we've bought that we want so-called convenient products rather than that which we're able to create or harvest from plant or animal or mineral relatives from our own landscapes. Yeah, so notice I'm calling them relatives as opposed to resources. That's one of those language things where resources just sounds uh, kind of yeah. like... Sucking kinda, the light out of... Yeah, and using. That's like a using word. It's a resource I'm going to use rather than a relative I'm going to have a relationship with. So one implies relationship and responsibility, and the other makes it easy to ignore relationship and responsibility. Yeah, oh, you're right. And I feel like that that really resonates in re returning to language, like in Hawaii, um, 
you know, Aina, that is that which feeds. And I always think, you know, looking at the word that you folks shared, um, you know, the translation that it's not just like food or, you mm -hmm. know, this thing that, you know, it's like, no, there's this like relationship and people are known by this, it attaches mm -hmm. in place and, you know, Hawaii, you know, and I shared with you, we've talked before that it's our genealogy, right? And this yeah. is another sibling and, you know, teaching um, some Lao Lafao classes to, to you know, um, students who are younger, then we always talk about them as being, that's your kuna, like how you're saying, like these mm -hmm. plants have been here for thousands mm -hmm. of years, right? And your kupuna used them. These are like your, you know, these, like you said, they're your elders. I love that. And, you know, that's exactly what we're shifting into. And it's so appropriate to use the language that feels, in, you know, and, you know, like appropriate. I'm just like, I'm just going to say, oh, no, that feels mm -hmm. aligned. It feels Thank centered, you. Right? Mahalo, it's, yeah. Yeah. Right. And we're, you know, as we build this and we look at what's out there and we're looking on, you know, for other communities and connections on you know a stream on a flow that's you know this the more of the the river maybe that we want to be flowing on and towards each other mm -hmm. like um we talked about earlier in this podcast i talked with Hanale, my husband he's a, a farmer in episode three farmers save lives and we talked about mm -hmm. food security and you know we looked at the different organizations and buoys here on oahu that people can connect to like Aina or Olu Aina, you know different farmers in um, Bearclaw Farms and Ahiki Acres and all different places and people who are, you know, doing this on Oahu, how do you connect with them? And how do you feed yourselves and continue to reinvest in that community, you know, and just knowing your relationship and your connection with your people. And when I was able to visit with you folks and, you know, the ways that you folks hunt and gather and have that relationship and, you know, trying moose and trying other roots mm -hmm. that you're talking about, it's such an important living experience that really you know we can feel our kupuna we can feel them right going through the grasses in that area we can feel mm -hmm. that complete you know system when we're you know we can, like you said the hunger part I, it made me think about Kahlo Hanle talks about um, some of the stories from some of his mentors that there wouldn't be so much fish but you have one plant that's a complete like nutrition source, right? You eat the corn, mm -hmm. the leaf, you have a little bit of salt from the ocean and you have this tiny bit of fish if you even have that or you just like smell it or lick it just to get, you know, mm -hmm. that, that complete system. But yeah, I think when people don't know what it's like to be hungry, then they don't know what it's like to put people before the money. And that mm -hmm. it's right about turning that into profit. And uh, well, Anyway, in our search for this, this, you know, connection and, and articles and, you know, looking for the words and the, the system to rebuild, one of the articles that we, we exchanged was from Civil Eats. And the title was From Panic Planting to Cooperative Gardens, Farmers, Farmers Focused on Equity and Food Justice Know That If You Can Feed Yourself, You Can Free Yourself. Mm -hmm. I feel like. That's it's such an overturning of a system that locks us in to hunger and it locks us into continuously needing the thing that's gonna give us access to food, which is right now like they're saying money, right? And mm -hmm. and then if we can't can't afford to do that, then we can get 
assistance into foods that aren't something that actually nourishes and feeds us. It actually makes us sick, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my I, I'm not saying that I had privilege to not experience those systems when I was, you know, a child. We were on WIC. We had food stamps when, you know, even with my own family and uh, early on being self-employed, I had to also um, subscribe to the systems. And, you know, you're thankful for the nourishment. But then at the, some point, it's just like this isn't even nourishment and you almost have to choose to just break away and go without to not um you know in the end it's it's poison you know if it's Mm -hmm. not organic if it's not from the aina if it's processed in certain ways with pesticides and chemicals and all these things that are you know so many doctors Mm -hmm. and so many things are showing that the system is making us sick you know it's like how do we you know as we're letting this go you know just you know making peace with it you know, we're focusing on the nourishment and going back to being caretakers, not money makers, that there's so much freedom and health, right? So this even mm-hmm. connects back to our health care system because there's yeah. so much in that relationship, right? And focusing on what we can actually grow with food sovereignty and that's freedom and health and choice and like real nourishment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And the education system, but we'll hold off on yes. that. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, so there's, it's everything. It's food is everything. Yeah. You're right. It's our uh-huh. education system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but before we shift completely, I want to take a wide turn um, okay, sure. into yeah. that shift. Yeah. I just want to say that every new layer of the response to this pandemic burns up another assumption or system flaw or whatever. Um, yeah. I've been exploring and conversing about the rallies to reopen and the methodology and symbology of those activities. And it looks like they're heavily concerned with freedom. Um, but me, um, having trouble sorting out how the ralliers might feel trapped, uh, cause I haven't felt this free for a long time as I do during this time. And uh, so when I understood that it was a trapped feeling that they were experiencing, um, to me, it just seems like the freedom they feel uh, separated from is the freedom to consume and to shop and to have more convenient services. Anyway, I think the freedom we imagine is more on the, the lines of freedom to create. So... Yeah thinking about creation versus consumption. And I always think about rights versus responsibility since I found out that we don't have a word for rights in our language. Um, And then fulfilling that responsibility. And when we have the ability to respond and the freedom to fulfill, to act, and to do that response of our own accord, then we feel like we have purpose. And when we get into food for our community and we get into it up to our elbows again at every step, then we feel fulfilled and our bellies feel full and our hearts feel full. And um, of course, we have that freedom, but the systems in place are so complicated and um, they seem oppressive and they seem bent on someone else's benefit. at every stage. And so those someones are rarely local or genuinely concerned enough with inequities of the food or health kind 
um, for the majority of us living in community. So hopefully we see all that now and it sinks into our head and our heart and our gut and our tissue so deep that we do imagine and we do dream and we do give voice to the new or the, the new old way, um, you know, that, that new old way, that land, that place-based indigenous knowledge, um, that old, old way becoming new again. So skipping over this failed experience experiment of uh, capitalism and consumerism and convenience and disconnect. So, okay, I'll stop that now and we can fully turn the corner. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, put that time and effort and support into the nourishment that, that uh, sustains us and reflects where we as people, as community, as a globe can shift back to being caretakers and free and healthy feeling and creating by planting seeds. Mm. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I love that, you know, the way that you talk about it, you know, that idea of capitalism, consumerism being it's if an experience, an experiment that failed. It's like, mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> it's done. You know, just to kind of give just um give it a way out and just let, let that go. Right. And just, you know, allow the disconnect that it created to just be something that we can just completely disconnect from, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it feels like you said, you know, that old, old, there's something that feels so good about returning to that. Right. And that, like you're saying that freedom that you feel now, mm -hmm. not having to be forced to engage in, that way you know and yeah i appreciate that so much so you're right ah, nice deep breath and just you know continue let's mahalo for all your work and all the words and how you you know help to create that i really appreciate that in your community as you you know if you wanted to go into that more that idea of actually defining it and and you know naming it and i love that it's not about rights but responsibility and how does that play into you know how do we define and this evolving health, education, food system, you know, it all comes together. Could, could you, you know, give us more about that? I would really love to hear from you now. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I started like digging into that rights versus responsibility, went doing my dissertation, um, and I leaned heavily on the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. And all those articles start with indigenous people have the right to educate their children. Indigenous people have the right to feed themselves. And I thought, you know, over and over again, and that's when I asked some of the elder language speakers um, what rights would, how that would translate. And they didn't have an answer, you know. So then, then I was like, okay, so uh, we have the responsibility to do all those things. But... Uh, but yeah, I just, um, I guess my work in the community, I, uh, I feel like, um, like I, I jumped in, in a progression of work that was started a long time ago. And I'm just like, you know, I tried to, to think of when it all started and it didn't start with me. It did start with me. So, um, 
So yeah, uh, so I feel like I've um, done so much that's a part of what so many others have done that it, that what I've done barely stands out, and um, it definitely doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't stand alone. So um, we all have a story, and uh, when time is as free as what we're moving toward, then we can and we should sit and tell our stories and listen to each other for understanding and learning. Um, and yeah, so uh, yeah. this, um, I guess, uh, you know, thinking about what we've done in our community. meaning like here in this place, in this land, on this ground, that section of our story is to start in our individual way and strength, meaning that uh, that every one of us brings something and we should deliver that. And when we do, that's when we'll feel that fulfillment and that purpose that, uh, that you know, life has to offer us. Um, so planting those seeds and and like getting through all the layers of bureaucracy, we got to do that. But there, those layers still exist and they seem to be like, I don't know, at this point in this pandemic story, I feel like those layers of bureaucracy are really trying to dig in to protect themselves. So they're almost like that virus saying it, so I'm just trying to survive. Yeah. Um, Maybe maybe we can have compassion for them. Um, yep. That's probably a good idea. But yep. Uh, yep. yeah, <laughs> yes. But plant, yeah, um, planting the seeds in the cracks that open up in the current systems. Those uh, cracks that we're seeing right now. So thinking of the cracks as opportunities, and so that that uh, makes me think of this slab of concrete we have by our house it's like between the house and the garage but the thing is falling apart and it has been for most of the 29 years that we've lived here and i i used to fret about it and i every once in a while i'll go out there and i'll chip away at it um but then i i saw that the weeds are really trying to help me they're like coming up through the through all those cracks you know and yeah. As I'm learning more and more about plants, some of those weeds are really useful. Yes. And here they are, like, popping up through that that uh, broken cement. Mm. And so um, just thinking about using the cracks in the systems that we're seeing now to plant those seeds. And there's just, like, so many layers of work that we have to do and so many different approaches. Um, I really was uh i guess um like taken aback a little bit that you recognize that sustainable community master plan we work the work that we did as you recognized it as policy work because i don't really think of myself as having the strength of policy but we definitely need that to be happening at the same time that we're getting our hands in the dirt and we're um teaching each other and we're going out to gather and stuff you know we need we need uh, work at all those different levels, um, and we could be like those weeds. Some of us, uh, yes. some of us, really useful in many ways, and then some of us just uh, 
just being weeds and yep. <laughs> maybe have a pretty little flower on us or something. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So another layer that I feel like um, that we're working on here is um, shifting hearts and minds towards that creating and building the capacity for that creative energy and effort. And so it's hard to talk to somebody who's used to going to Walmart to shop for groceries. It's hard to talk them into, you know, you don't have to get all your groceries there. You can go out in the woods and get something. But once you get them out there, then there's like no turning back. Once they've experienced that, once they've gotten some dirt under their fingernails and stuff, um, it's really hard to slow them from their own trajectory then into making that such a huge part of their lifestyle and so um you know harnessing that creative energy and that effort and sharing the bounties and stories of those those uh experiencing experiences so um yeah so yeah we some of the work that we need to do and that we're trying to get going you know community gardens or gardens and yards and uh, food cultivation for the community like you and Hanalei do um, and wild harvesting and whatever. That's all work that needs to be done. And that's kind of, to me, the fun stuff. I don't know, a real policy person might feel like that's the fun <laughs> stuff, but but I've never, I haven't met anybody that doesn't like to go out and gather and be a part of that. Um, so, you know, that to me, that's that's the real connecting stuff, but we got to have that other work going on too. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's can you imagine it? Yeah. yeah, on a on an individual basis, we'd be stronger and more flexible and and balanced if we all had a little bit of work to do every day that was like manual, like you know getting our feet muddy, getting those, getting those black feet from the. <laughs> <laughs> those farmer stained. Yeah. Toes, right? yeah. Yeah. So, um, but on a community level, we'd be much more able to respond to local and regional and familial needs in times like these and have so much more to celebrate and connect around in the best of times. So, one of the things that's happened here in what we're doing is the sharing of the knowledge and the time and the space. And our people are motivated to continue that gathering, like I said, of the wild foods and medicines. And they they bring their families along when they go out on their own then. And they teach their friends and family um, as they're learning and as we're learning ourselves. And I just love it when others tell me or I see it on social media or something like that, you know, that so-and-so went out with so-and-so and they gathered such and such and they made this or that. And it yeah. just warms me from the inside out. And I feel so happy and proud and humble and strong for our people. So, you know, that's a huge part of the shift. And it feels like that's a real urgent part of the shift that uh that we need to make happen more and uh people just getting reacquainted and reconnected 
and getting back to being reliable relatives to the plants and animals and the elements in each other. I know that we're told when we go out um, and we find something in its season that that's a visitor and we have to talk to it like a visitor and know that it's only going to be there for a couple weeks. And, you know, so this is the one time a year we get to see you. So happy to see you. <laughs> um, yeah. And so once you can see that light and that love in the, the eyes of the people who are reconnecting like that, then, um, then, like I said, there's no stopping them after that. And so um, many of the people that I thought or that they thought I was teaching them or providing them with something that they didn't have before are now surpassing me. And uh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I get to learn and I've got a lot to learn. So there's that. Um, so another thing is that our knowledge being collectively held means that we have to make time and space for every piece of ancestral memory or emerging knowledge to be explored and shared. We have to be brave and willing to speak what we know, even if it's just a little thing, because that little thing in our mind or spirit might take on a life of its own in someone else's um, who recognizes it as a missing piece in their own experience. So, but, you know, just a disclaimer, we do have to be cautious and think about how we're going to do this so that our relatives out there aren't exploited or over-harvested or any of the other assaults that the system, that the systems that inspire greed have uh, brought on us, you know. So, um, so yeah, our people over here hunted and gathered, and there was always enough even to freely share. But now is the time to, for us to think about gardening, too. And so there's a lot of reasons for that, um, this pandemic being one. Uh, and our recent ancestors did have real good success with uh, cultivating orchards and gardens um but that's another story about why that's no more and uh at least we have we we know we have it in us and that we can fulfill that responsibility to provide nourishment for our families and people yeah oh that's so beautiful that's like it's everything and anything right and that mm -hmm. i love how you said it I just love all of that and all of so much yeah. of that. You know, yeah. everybody, I think you talked to me in our conversations about the cyclical nature, right, of things and yeah. like as you're, you're pulling this together and, you know, and I think that, you know, the spirals and the coming back into ourselves and each other and it's not this linear path like, okay, we're going to leave you behind. You don't have anything to contribute. It's like everyone yeah. is, has to be, like you said, a reliable relative. I really like that so it feels so good right and that it's this whole story of you know freedom and our power and mm -hmm. our food and like you're right every every little bit matters mm -hmm. and you know if the policymaker has the backyard garden or you know whatever that looks like or you know mm -hmm. it's all this perfect contribution to this healing you know in everyone's different roles and it changes right i feel like even like how you're saying 
you know, the, the share of knowledge becomes a student to people who, you know, mm-hmm. as they just kind of, like you said, their trajectory, you can't hold them back. They have the mm-hmm. taste for this again, and they're just going to go and grow, mm-hmm. right? And that's so important. Uh, oh, yeah, that- it's that, that reconnecting that has to happen. And some of the the ways that we're trying to do that here is to, um, well, like, we have this one uh, thing that we're working on where we can teach kids, starting with the kids, um, how to learn from plants. So plants as teachers, you know, whenever we uh, teach in the science class, we always talk about um, Western science has man at the top of a pyramid and everything underneath has less of a brain than man does. And so they're, they're beneath man then because man has this big brain. Um, but the native perspective was always that the plants were here first. They've been here the longest. The animals were here after that. They've been here longer than we have. We're at the bottom. And so just thinking about how can a, what can a plant teach us and how can we learn those lessons and just, you know, how, how it takes uh, some real um, being in touch with senses. And that's one thing that I'm grateful for in this, this time when we get to stay home. I feel like, like uh, sensory perception has increased. And, uh, and that's what we need to learn from lessons from plants. So working on that and then... Uh, then help, I mean, having a lot of activities where we bring people together and we will go out and we'll get the ingredients and then uh, then we'll process them and we'll hang on to them for a season. And then, then like last fall, we got together and we put together some of the stuff that we had gathered and prepared and held and we combined it. So I had a piece, somebody else had a piece, another person, and we put it all together and we made a a salve for um, any kind of injury on your body, you know, and, and it just felt so gratifying. And, and this spring, then everybody's out, you know, oh, there's Arnica, we're going to get Arnica and (laughs) get it into some oil. And, and so then just looking forward, you know, and so that's something that isn't really um, happening in the current system or the the system that we're no longer imagining. We're, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, I think I saw your post on Arnica and I was like, that's amazing to, to you know, I think my mom with our, you know, Indian or Native American, or I don't know, you know, Indian, mm-hmm. the, the tribal ancestry that we have, she always talk about aspirin. You know, that's the one yeah. thing about Arnica and all these things that we don't have growing here in Hawaii, but it's like, you have it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's there. And oh, so yeah, much. I can't wait till you visit again so I can show you everything I know now. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, <thank> not, you. <laughs> it's not everything, but yeah, um, you were the one that really like propelled me a lot. Um, yeah, when, when you'd bring all that food home and we had, we had food just like covering the whole counter and you're like, you guys got to help me with this. And I had to be like, okay, what is it? And 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you I, can. Mm -hmm, what's mm -hmm, that? Okay. Oh, you can Google any three ingredients for anything, and there's always a recipe. So, yeah. It's a beautiful thing to, to you know, cook and prepare together. I think it was when, you know, we lived together. It was years ago when we were in school in Kuyo'o, and we um, mm. we baked some ulu, the sweetened kind, and that was oh, my yeah. first go at you know ulu as like a dessert form. Uh -huh. Yeah, there's so many delicious, you know, memories like this. Yeah. 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 The time I cleared the house out because I was trying to saute some sriracha. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how can you? Yeah. You're at that point. My eyes and the nose. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I ate it. I didn't waste it. But. <laughs> never, never waste. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but I love that all the things that you've said and you know two two of the things that you talked about just now was that you know the time is now and to be able to view these plants as they come as seasonal and mm -hmm. realize they're here for a moment I think is something that we all really have to internalize you know what we're so like we talked about convenience and permanence and you know I think this part of the spiritual time right now is how one of our, my, our midwife will always talk about this one of the mentors that we see that nothing's forever. We're, we're mm -hmm. so impermanent. And, you know, like you're saying, the knowledge that we contribute is such a small piece of what's already been built, you know, but, but that doesn't mean to not contribute. It's like, you know, yeah. go and do and plant that seed, you know, in that, in that mm -hmm. crack that you talked about and break all of that cement wide open, you mm -hmm. know, just bust it open bring the light and just really thank you all of that you know that seeing this even as we are mourning and shedding and staying healthy and protecting our communities in various ways and you know, nourishing in different ways that this we find strength you know now as well as you know after in times that will happen will be you know so much stronger it won't be a, a crisis, a food mm -hmm. you know, crisis because of all the strength that we'll feel from the system that really supports our elders, our community, supports the mm -hmm. land, heals the air, like you talked about all the elements, you know, and I, I just really thank you for that reconnection that there is so much strength and so much freedom to just keep feeling and keep um, envisioning so that it's the thing, the only thing that we broadcast as we're investing and creating and envisioning the definition mm -hmm. of what this looks like for us. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it, you've already shared so much, but if there's any lasting thought that you wanted to share or, you know, anything else, feel free. And if not, I already feel like I've, you know, I feel so much lighter and lifted already. So mm -hmm. don't feel like I, I don't want to pull anything out. You've already oh. given so much, you know, but yeah, this, yeah, there's a, a lot more that we need to imagine. And that's why we have to do this together. Um, you know, yeah. So keep talking, Megan, and keep <laughs> listening. And yeah. That's mm -hmm. what I feel like it is. Like you said, it's listening. Mm -hmm. Just really listening. Yeah. Yeah. 
do so much work with the community and you know, you're encircled by them and you support them and you feel like you're always returning to them and creating with others and you know I, I connect with you you know personally and also with these networks and I know you're on social media and I don't know if it's um, something that you would want to share like any of the groups that people can find you on if there's like a Facebook something you know or something that could support your community by reading about you folks or liking a page or anything like that that you would want to share yeah we do have a Facebook group um but we named it Echnelihus in uh in you know like an attempt to keep the trolls out uh, we want it to be strictly about our food sovereignty efforts. And um, so if a listener can find that, yeah. <laughs> it's actually got the the Salish characters in it. So it's kind of hard to find. But uh, yeah. but if you wanted to share that out, if anyone wants to reach out to you and then you could invite them to be in the group or something, that would that would be great. Um, and. Uh, that's kind of as far as we've gotten for any formal group and what we're working right now on trying to get something more formal. Um, but that's as far as we've gotten so far. Uh, you can find us out in the woods on yes. some days <laughs> or out in the, the root fields or the berry patches. Um, and yeah, so. Uh, that's where you should be. Always, yeah. yeah yeah i'm i'm yeah. open for contact too if anyone wants to contact me and then you said you'd share the resources that we looked at yeah so good yeah, yeah i think that's perfect and i think it's a really um, deep bow of honor to um, keeping those sacred spaces that you and your community are building safe and within your within your embrace and control to you know protected that that space so i totally agree and i think you know people can search your name and get to know you and it's appropriate that you should be i think that's even better yeah you can look me up on social media but find me in the woods (laughs) (laughs) you You made it sound much more better the ways that, you know, you've given so much um, love and support to me and my family. Um, I just thank you for everything that you contribute to, you know, your healing and your family and your people. And as you continue to do your prayers and your broadcasting of the immense power that is, um, you know, we're all cultivating together in this in this. Mm. I love you and thank you for all. I time. love you too. Thank you. I breathed all that in, so just so you know, it's in me. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, I'll talk to you soon. And all right, take care. Aloha, Nui. Aloha. Mahalo, Nui, for tuning in with me here to the Kui Aloha podcast. Mahalo for your belief in our transformation and collective awakening. Your love for this process and conscious uh, activating this intentional caregiving 
is hugely impactful on the worldly vibration. Mahalo for this work and this commitment. Please press on, continue to breathe and be, keep on this path that has taken us around and in circles and about this space and into this area, into the deepest, darkest parts so that we can emerge most light. Thank you for listening, for supporting this work and this growing community. Angelica and Marissa, I feel you and send you aloha. Back to you, triple fold, to you and your ohana. Mahalo for the support on Patreon. If anyone listening also wants to be a part of this growing support, the link patreon.com forward slash kuikialoha will take you there. Mahalo, mahalo, mahalo for all that you're doing, all that you're witnessing, and all that you are sharing. It's truly our deepest calling and our strongest work together. I love you and thank you. Kuikialoha. <laughs>